I'm Tim Lupinacci, CEO of Baker Donaldson. Welcome to the Everybody Leads podcast, where we empower individuals to embrace their leadership potential. Join me each episode for inspiring stories from corporate executives to everyday change makers who lead without titles. You'll discover actionable leadership principles that are honed in the trenches and that anyone can apply regardless of your current situation or past mistakes. Because here, we believe that everybody leads. All right. I am very pleased today to welcome my good friend David Walker to the Everybody Leads podcast. Uh, David is the president and CEO of EBSCO Industries, uh, which is a private family-owned company headquartered here in Alabama that is a conglomerate of a diverse business operations uh, in one company. And they have operations in over 20 countries and over 5,000 employees uh, EBSCO's business lines include information services, outdoor products, real estate, manufacturing and distribution, and insurance services. Uh, it is consistently ranked as one of the top privately held firms in Alabama and is one of the most uh, highly regarded uh, and community impactful companies uh, uh, really in the history of Alabama. It's a really great history um, that, that EBSCO has. Uh, David is a graduate of Auburn University, where he earned a BS in accounting and started his career as a CPA uh, with Ernst & Young. Later, he worked for PJ America as VP and corporate controller. Uh, and he built a background in accounting, finance, and mergers and acquisitions, and he joined EBSCO in 2000 as the general manager of Military Services Company, which was EBSCO's original business. Uh, only a year later, then-chairman Jim Stevens asked him to lead EBSCO's first mergers and acquisitions team. Uh, and ever since, David has served EBSCO in a variety of ca capacities over 19 years, including CFO, COO, and since 2017, CEO. Uh, David's an active member in the community, currently serves on uh, the board of Auburn University's Harvard College of Business. Uh, he's a very active leader and contributor to the United Way of Central Alabama. He also serves on the board of Menasha Corporation, uh, which is uh, one of America's uh, oldest privately held family-owned manufacturing companies and is headquartered in Wisconsin. He's an outdoor enthusiast, an avid reader, and enjoys travel with his wife, Lindy, and their three children. Uh, five years ago, when I received the call that I was going to be selected as the next CEO of Baker Donaldson, the first person I called to gain insight and to prepare to take over this role was David. Um, so David, thank you for your significant influence in my life, but also thank you for joining the Everybody Leads podcast. Thank you, Tim. Very kind words, and it's an honor to be on your podcast. I look forward to the conversation. That's great. Well, so we're talking today really about leadership. And so when you think about your leadership journey, you've had a lot of titles, but even before that, Talk to, to, to the listeners about your leadership journey. When did you sort of start thinking of yourself as a leader, some early lessons you learned, and how that set you on your trajectory? Sure. Well, I'm probably like most people. I had a lot of people in my life that poured into me beginning in grade school with coaches and teachers. And I think uh, growing up in a small town, one of the things I learned very quickly, because there aren't many other things to do in a small town, is that you learn to work. And so from a very early age, developed a work ethic, which served me well in high school, but then in college as well. And I would say probably the first time I really thought about leadership was through a mentor who remains in my life today, a gentleman named Wayne Alderman. He was both the director of the School of Accountancy at Auburn, as well as our fraternity faculty advisor. And I think probably the biggest thing that, that he did for me from a leadership perspective, and certainly the thing that I see looking back is just he believed in my potential, my potential 
as a student, my potential as a leader during college and the potential that I had to be a leader later in my career. And I think it was just that belief that he put in me that spurred me to want to take risk and take on challenges and continue that leadership journey that really began in high school, but continued through college into my career. Yeah, that's great. I think it's so amazing because I have a somewhat of a similar story about somebody speaking potential into you, showing that um, they believe in you and that you could be a leader uh, is so p- important. And yet um, some of that doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, I think for all of us as leaders now, we can be doing that to the generation behind us. Um, I think in speaking of leadership, I think one of the biggest responsibilities that we all have uh, in a leadership role is to invest in others and I was very fortunate and my career is certainly a testament to those who invested in me from a very early age and a challenge that I regularly give to my team. Who are you investing in both inside our company and outside our company? At any point in time, we all should be investing in other people. Uh, So well said. So as you had that early influence and obviously I'm sure you've had influences along the way, how did you really craft your sort of leadership style, your approach? um, And what is, what are some of those key tenants that have you, pulled through to today as CEO of EBSCO? Yeah, I think it, a lot of it is uh, learning on the job. There's probably not as much training and teaching uh, that needs to occur and in, in really preparing leaders. But I think the biggest, the, the biggest thing for leadership journey is really having mentors in your life, people that, um, that are good leaders, uh, that can help you define what leadership looks like. Uh, so that you begin, you can begin implementing that into the way uh, that you lead your your teams. But I think probably more than anything from a leadership perspective, it's just the ability to provide clarity. Uh, and I think the, the the secret to getting teams um, aligned is really providing that clarity of vision, where you're headed, creating expectations. Um, and it's it's amazing the potential of teams when they have that clarity. So that whole idea, even about when you're talking about teams and even though you're, you know, you're talking about how you tell your colleagues to invest in others and in the community, uh, that's really about building a, a, a culture. How have you focused on building culture, an organization that sprawls, you know, 23, 24 countries and that number of employees? How does that work that you can really continue to instill that uh, in your colleagues? Yeah, it's interesting. So it's it's a great question, one that we talk about quite a bit. You uh, gave a little bit of an overview of our company, but um, just for your listeners yeah. to understand, we have 12 businesses uh, that are spread across three pillars. Our, we, our largest business is in the information services space. We have the real estate platform, and then we have the diversified business platform. So one of the things we talk about when we talk about culture is we talk about culture being local. And what we mean by that is that our business units are asked to own their strategy, their culture, their operations. Um, And that really runs to a mantra that I've had with our business units in that we want empowerment without abandonment, which means we want accountability, but we want our teams to be empowered to own those things. And culture is absolutely critical, but we also want that to be local. So while there are some influences from EBSCO as the parent company, We want the local business to establish the culture that their teams can buy into, because in order for them to buy into it, they need to have ownership in it. I I love that. And I was going to ask you about empowerment without abandonment, because I think that is um, so critical. And I think um, not only it helps you uh, instill culture throughout an organization and helps you lead better, but it also, I think, 
um, drives purpose and engagement of the of your leaders, right? That, they, they feel that you've got their back, you've certainly hold them accountable, but they can go do what they're doing best in their unit and locally, as you said. Um, have you had uh, um, uh, setbacks about that? I mean, uh, what what have you learned over the years now of trying to live empowerment uh, without uh, with aban- uh, without abandonment? Yeah, we've we've definitely not batted a thousand uh, in in our approach to business, and and uh, really don't want to because we we don't want to avoid risk, and business is about risk taking. I think the way we've looked at it, and and everyone sort of has their formula for what works, but the way we've operated and really wanting our businesses to be entrepreneurial, which was the genesis of our company was Elton B. Stevens selling magazines door to door, really trying to capture that entrepreneurial spirit in our business units today and really to have the benefits of big, which EBSCO is a big company and from a consolidated perspective, um, but having the flexibility and the entrepreneurship that comes with small, because it's hard for big companies to be as innovative as smaller companies. So we're trying to keep, keep that big benefit, but then the smaller company flexibility. And the way we do that is we look at one, you know, are we giving the business unit enough independence? Um, And then two, do we have the right focus? And then three, are the incentives aligned? And what we found is when we give that right level of independence, they have the right level of focus and we can add the right incentives to keep create the behaviors that we'd like, then we get the alignment that creates an, env- an environment that has entrepreneurialism, and then that's what leads to success. And I wish we batted a thousand on that, uh, but we haven't batted a thousand. But we believe in the formula. Yeah, because it engages people, it, it drives purpose that they're leading, and I think that that um, I think that's really a brilliant way to um, to lead. Uh, you know, another aspect of that, you talked a little bit about the hard work and the work ethic that uh, you mentioned. Your mentor, I know you've also talked about that with public accounting, <laughs> gave you some. Um, uh, helped increase your DNA in that area. But another aspect of that that you talk about a lot is, is humility. So how do you balance this, you know, hard work and this, you know, playing to win, which I know you do with, with humility. Um, that, that's That's a, that's a tough line to walk. I think sometimes. Yeah, no, it's absolutely critical. It's one of, you know, four or five things that I look for in any hiring decision. And it, it runs to, you know, the question of what I enjoy working with this individual and, uh, the the members uh, team members within our company uh, enjoy working with team members that have humility, and so we try to use that as a criteria. But it is a challenge. I mean, I think probably one of the more subtle challenges that you have with humility is not so much sometimes in the attitude of individual team members, but just in the way you approach your business. You can develop a level of confidence uh, that can can create blind spots for your business. So staying humble about where you've been and what you've done versus what you need to do to be successful in the future, I think is critically important in sustaining success over a long period of time. Yeah. I think it's interesting. One of the, I, w- I wish I'd gone back and found it. Cause I know like when, when we had coffee a few times when I was in transition to this role, I was just listening. Like I was, a, you're the sage and I'm taking notes. <laughs> I wish I, I have those notes. I have those notes somewhere, but I know one of the things that uh, I know you talked about is the fact that now the, you know, you are in the the top seat, and this you know it's a it's a seat of one at the top of the organization. Obviously, you need all the feedback and the voices, um, and it can be lonely at times, I guess. But also, this idea of blind spots is something you've mentioned, um, and making sure um, you're getting other voices. What are you have some disciplines about ensuring that you are you know 
people are, you give opportunity for people to talk about maybe blind spots that you might be missing? Sure. Well, I think one thing that I've tried to do, and again, have not done this perfectly, but one of the things I've tried to do is just never stop interviewing for the job that I have. And I think, you know, every day approaching the day as if it's an interview for the the job that I've been very fortunate to be given is the way I try to start every day. Um, If you do that, then I think that you take more time to listen to people. You ask for more feedback from your team. Uh, You acknowledge that I may not have the answer. Uh, I may have the wrong answer. I may be part of the problem. And I think if you approach your job with that level of humility, the people around you trust you. And then you have the level of vulnerability and transparency um, that, you know, you can maintain that humility in the way you're approaching business decisions because you're getting better information because your team has a level of trust that they're willing to speak truth to power. And that's very important in the organization from top to bottom is that people um, people have a voice and positional power does not get in, a, in the way of those individuals um, sharing and asserting their voice when they need to. Yeah. I think it's so critical um, for leaders uh, to have that voice and to be open to that voice. And I love that idea. I hadn't thought about that, about interviewing for the job every day. And and you really are with your actions and how you're leading and how you're showing up. Um, So that's great insight. Um, So I think part of that whole um, area that you were just talking about with vulnerability and transparency and being open to having people speak into your life is I think it's also uh, being uh, vocal and out front when you have made a mistake or something didn't go as well as you planned and then what you're going to do about fixing it or, you know, even in some instances, apologizing about something. Um, uh, any stories that come to mind where you've had to do that, how you've incorporated incorporated that into your leadership journey? Yeah, we've definitely we've definitely had situations where we've made decisions that at the time we made the decision, we did not uh, fully appreciate the unintended consequences of the decision. We try as much as possible when we make a decision where we know that we uh, have limited facts to say on the front end, listen, we, we may need to we need we may need to go back to the fork in the road and take the other direction um, because we have some uncertainty involved. Certainly the pandemic was a window of time where that was probably more present than it's ever been in my career, where we're making decisions about the health and safety of our team members. Um, but yet we had we had certainly less than a full set of facts. And so more than one time we went back and said, listen, I know we said we were going down this path, but we really need to take an alternate path. And I think if you create that environment where people feel comfortable and they're not penalized for making, um, you know, making a wrong decision or, or a poor decision, but certainly with the right intent, um, then getting back to your question around humility, it creates an environment where there's just a higher level of trust. Right. Yeah, absolutely agree. So who or what uh, inspires David today to like get out of bed and keep you know moving forward and uh, any voices or books or resources that have really inspired you lately? Sure, I, I, I definitely can share a few things that, that I read with regularity. Um, I would say to your question, what inspires me? I think um, the further I've gotten into my career and certainly six years into this role as the president and CEO of EBSCO, I've come to appreciate just the the enormous uh, amount of work that it takes to sustain success over long periods of time. And as a family-owned private company uh, that's looking to grow our profits over decades, because we think generationally in our company, you think about well, who 
from a role model perspective is really sustain success for a long period of time because it's it can be easy not always but it can be easy to have random acts of success but i i'm inspired by people who can who can do that over a sustained period of time uh, we probably see that a decent amount in athletics through certain programs but you certainly see it in businesses as well you know from a standpoint of resources and things that i enjoy reading. Um, I, I really focused most of my reading in, in three areas, one on on strategy, two on leadership, and three on talent. And there's certainly dif- different authors that I follow there. Jim, Jim Collins has obviously written some great books um, that people are very familiar with, like Good to Great, Built to Last. I particularly like the small book, uh, which is a little bit of a monologue that he did called The Flywheel, which I we've incorporated in our company in a number of different ways, which is really around the importance of developing momentum and then the power that momentum can generate in your business once it's developed. And so that's something we use quite a bit as we're framing uh, different challenges or opportunities we're looking at uh, on the, on the people and talent side. Um, Love the book, the multipliers, uh, which is written by Liz Wiseman, a great, great book on just, how we underestimate the potential of people um, and uh, a lot to be learned from how you can optimize um, results by really allowing your people to give versus trying to take. Um, And then uh, Pat Lencioni has written some great books. Most people are familiar with the five dysfunctions of a team, um, but does a great job in really talking about team dynamics, um, people dynamics. And so I enjoy reading his work. And then in addition to that, I would say, you know, HBR, great information, great articles that uh, cover really the spectrum of topics. And so um, I'm a big reader. I love uh, reading uh, business books and it, it typically falls into one of those three categories. Yeah, those are all amazing suggestions and recommendations. Um, uh, I don't know if you've read Liz Wiseman's one newer called Impact Players is another one that kind of builds on multipliers. I have not. I did. I have seen it. And so it's on my list. Yeah, and it's people joke with me about um, uh, they say there may or may not be a drinking game when I'm making a presentation and I reference HBR, you know, like because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's an incredible resource, no matter where you are in your leadership journey. It's just got great insights. So um, that's really interesting. Uh, really great. Uh, uh, great suggestion. So I'm, I'm really thinking about this myself now a lot more about momentum and sustained momentum over time when you've had some successes. Uh, how have you been able to, over the six years, really um, you know, had maintain momentum when you may have those momentary blips or keep everyone not becoming complacent because you've had success? What have you done for me lately kind of uh, idea? Sure. We, we're focused really on four areas. And again, thinking back to the way we're structured with EBSCO as a parent company, sort of our central or corporate office, if, if you will, with our business units being decentralized, operating independently and autonomously. One of the things we do believe in is that there's certain ingredients to success that all of our businesses can benefit from, some of which we resource from a corporate perspective and some may be resourced at the business unit level. But they're really in four categories. One, we believe in being talent focused. And so we we absolutely believe that people make the difference and we want to invest in our people. Um, and so to sustain success over time, I've said many times that the only true competitive advantage in the biz- in your business is your people. And we want to create a talent advantage. I think every organization either has a talent advantage or they have a talent deficit and we're focused 
on having a talent advantage at EBSCO. The next is really being customer centric. I mean, we, we want to know our customer. We want to know our customers uh, better than our competitors. Um, and we want to use that knowledge to serve them in a way that creates loyalty. Um, so we want to be focused on being customer centric. Um, the next is growth orientation. We want to be growth oriented and we look at that as just, it just needs to be a part of our DNA. We want to, we want to plan for it. Uh, we want to resource it and then we want to execute on it. And so whether that's uh, growth through continuous improvement, whether it's growing uh, the top line and bottom line of our business, we just want to be a company that as part of its DNA, we're growth oriented. Um, and then finally, we're results driven. So we're competitive. We keep score. We play to win. Uh, and so we're a metric driven organization. We want to learn uh, from our failures. And so it's important to have the data to be able to do that. But we believe the combination of those things applied across our business units allows us uh, to be successful over the long term. And we have a benefit relative to some others um, in business in that as a family owned, private owned, privately held company. You know, we're focused on the long term. And so where a public company might be uh, in a situation where they have to trade short term achievement uh, at the expense of the long term, we're always just the opposite. And so we will never sacrifice our long term goals for a short term achievement or benefit. And so if you can think long term and you can do those things I mentioned, we feel like over the long term we'll be successful. Yeah, uh, that's so good. I think though, I think those four principles, which are bedrock, I mean, that's really amazing principles. That I think that can help you even in the short term, as you said. But I'd absolutely, because like I mean, I can see how because we're we have you know share value every year. We are planning some long term stuff, but I think on the short term, even just being laser focused on on um, talent and customer centric and growth oriented and um, you know results focused, that that's something that really drives um, success. So um, thanks for sharing that. Um, I think one of the things you told me, and it took me some really uh, uh, times of uh, missing the ball on this, about how much I had to protect some Tim time, me time, with all the demands of everything that could fill up your 24-7 uh, of, of good things that can help drive things forward. Um, how have you incorporated sort of some daily disciplines or some you know approaches to make sure that David keeps energized and focused and shows up as your best every day? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a it's a constant struggle, right? You hear so many people talk about work life balance. And I've heard folks say that there there's really no such thing as work life balance. You try to find harmony between those two parts of your life. Um, you know, I think what I've found and this has been a post pandemic finding, and I would say um, for all of us, we can point to things that happened during the pandemic that um, that made things maybe worse. And then we can point to things that, that maybe are better. One of the things that's on the better list for me is how the pandemic changed the structure of my work. And one of the things that it, it, um, it really drove home with me is that I am much more produ productive doing individual work where I need think time early in the mornings. And I'm an early morning person. And so post pandemic, because we were working more remote and you you had a different schedule than than maybe you had pre pandemic. I was spending those first three to four hours of the day um, working on individual work, think time. And that was very productive time. So as the pandemic um, as the pandemic subsided, I have maintained that schedule. And so that window of time between five and nine a.m. in the morning is a great time for me 
um, to do the work that I need to do where others aren't dependent on me. And then the balance of my day uh, can be structured in a way to make sure I'm supporting my teams. Uh, and I've just found that that change and just sort of my flow has has been very has been very healthy for me. It's been he- healthy for me from the standpoint of um, doing a better job. And it's been healthy for me just from a mental health perspective. I, I'm, I'm generally a happier person because I feel like I have more control uh, over that part of my day than maybe I felt like I did before. That's great. And it's it's got to be intentionality behind it. And so I assume your team members, your leadership team knows that that's your David time. Uh, obviously, emergency, they'll contact you. But otherwise, they you've protected that time. They protect it for you, right? Yeah, I could do a better job there. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it's also a convenient meeting time uh, for uh, for a lot of meetings to have coffee. And so I, I'm probably protecting it about you know 50 or 60 percent of the time uh, and the balance. Um, I'm probably not as, doing as good a job as I could, but it, it definitely is making a difference in my productivity. And again, just sort of, you know, enjoying, you know, um, the day because I feel like I, I've accomplished a lot before, um, you know, I start the balance of my day that might be more consumed with meetings and less uh, individual work time. Yeah. Well, 50 or 60 percent, pat yourself. I mean, that's that's better than nothing, right? <laughs> it's I mean, a starting, it's I, a starting I, place. I know what you mean, because I, like I said, I think you really talked about this with me. And I did early on in my tenure, I was like, I had a couple hours blocked every morning and then invariably the day would get filled and I'd just creep into it. And now I don't even have it blocked anymore. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to rethink this. But it's good. Turn up a calendar page. I can set some new uh, goals. <laughs> and, and I think it's important to do something you enjoy doing every day. And uh, we joked before we started that I have become a little bit of a zealot in pickleball. And, um, you know, I really enjoy that incorporating that into my day, whether it's a really early morning game or a a late afternoon or evening game. I think it's important to find something that you enjoy doing to create that harmony that we were talking about between your work life and and your family life and then your your me time. Uh, And everyone needs uh, needs to find the time to do all three. Yeah, very well said. I appreciate that. Well, um, anything recently that you've heard or learned, something new you've learned or read that, of, and, you know, that has inspired you or recently that's been interesting to you? It doesn't have to be anything about leadership necessarily. Yeah, you know, we are, we are spending um, a lot of time right now in our company working on what we define to be uh, our talent advantage. And, and I think as I have worked with our teams here, um, on really sort of articulating what that means to us and then making that tangible to our teams. Uh, I've just really gotten excited about uh, where we're going from a talent perspective. And you know, as I said earlier, I believe there's a tremendous amount uh, of potential in our teams um, to, to do more if we create the right environment for that, give them the opportunity to do that, provide the right development uh, for that. And so I would say probably as much as anything uh, in this window of time, I've been really focused and enthusiastic about where we're going from a talent perspective. So when you think about, I totally agree about this whole idea of skill building. And uh, I think I always think of it like it's a pathway of people that you want to attract the best talent. They want to see they have a pathway of, you know, getting better. Uh, Are you um, uh, building that internally, external, using external help or just all of the above, not to give away any secrets, but are there, if, if it's external, any um, anything that's been of interest to you um, 
you know, maybe from, from a leadership development or anything like that? Sure. We, we're because of the nature of our business um, and having the, the 12 businesses underneath the parent company, you know, we're looking at this both from a vertical and a horizontal perspective. And what I mean by that is vertically, meaning within our business units, how can we create development opportunities? Um, and then horizontally, how can we look at uh, the same question? How can we create opportunities? Because we're in a lot of different businesses. So when we think about EBSCO, often we think about economies of scope, meaning, uh, excuse me, economies of scale because of the size of our company. Um, but we're also focused on economies of scope, which is really the breadth of our company. So from a talent perspective, we have a tremendous opportunity to, one, provide those pathways within the company that they're a part of, but then, two, benefit from what we're doing in other businesses. And so by way of example, someone that's doing a marketing uh, job inside one of our manufacturing or distribution businesses would have access to someone that's doing marketing in our insurance services or our outdoor brands business or information services business and the ability to connect uh, that group and then allow them to learn from each other and from a best practice perspective is something that's unique to our model in terms of the way we're organized and something that we want to take advantage of as we move forward. Yeah, that is really wise just because you're right. Sometimes you can get um, myopic or focused on your business unit, but yet there's so much you can learn from other business units uh, and, and you're all for the benefit of the, of the, of the global corporation. Right. So that's uh, right. Yeah, that's great. Well, so a couple of final questions, you know, one of the focus of this podcast is that uh, you don't need to have a big fancy title and a corner office to be a leader um, that we really all lead and impact others and, and can um, influence others every day. So um, if you were thinking about a piece of advice for someone who maybe doesn't have a title right now that would help them in their leadership journey, um, any, any wise words you would want to share? Yeah, that's, it's a great question as I, as, I, as I think about that. And I look back on just sort of what is, um, what is a differentiator? Like what do the best people do um, relative to the field? I think the one word that comes to mind to me is just deliver. And, and I think it's very simple uh, in many respects, but it's complex in others. If you look at your team and you just put everyone in a bucket of those who deliver uh, with consistency uh, versus those who don't, I, th- I think it tells you a lot about your team. And, and I think uh, my encouragement, and this is certainly pointed at myself first before it's pointed at anyone else is, you know, just how are you, how are you doing when it comes to delivering? Um, are you are you delivering what you've committed to deliver? And uh, I think we could all do a better job with that. And I think it makes a huge difference um, in in a, in every business if people are delivering. Yeah, I totally agree. And that, that I mentioned impact players. That's a little bit of the premise of what Liz Wiseman says is that the real differentiator is the folks who deliver, and they're the people on your team who are having more impact, and you know who they are because they're delivering and stepping up, um, even if it's not in their job description. At times, so um, yeah, that's great. Uh, minds think alike. That's right. You need to write your book, <laughs> David. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, last question is uh, along that same line. Along your journey, has there been somebody who um, you think about who really didn't have a, a position of authority or a position of power or a title um, who really impacted you or influenced you along the way? Any good stories of that um, that you could share? Yeah, again, another really good question, thought provoking to think about. Um, you know, I'm going to mention something that that'll be uh, near and dear to to your heart because we share it. And that is a, a group that we work 
with together called Hand in Hand, which is a, a group of, you know, awesome special needs children. And uh, both you and I have had the privilege of working with them. And, and um, it's one of the highlights of my month when I have that opportunity. But um, the leader of that group, I'm not sure if I can call her by name or not, but uh, uh, Amy Kirby, to me, is one of those individuals that you described, just someone who is doing what they're doing, not because it comes with positional power, not because it comes with recognition, um, but because she's passionate about the mission of what she does and helping these special needs children. Um, and she leads uh, excellently in doing that. And so um, so sometimes that inspiration we, we see in business people, sometimes we see it um, in, in other places. In this case, she's someone that's inspiring to me and someone that I think is doing exactly what we talked about earlier, and that is sustaining success over a long period of time because the number of children that participate in that program continues to grow based on her reputation and the leadership that she's provided in a very unselfish way. Yeah, I could not agree more. I've talked I talked to my colleagues now, I talk about that's the highlight of my week or month as well, uh, being there. And, and, and the success is sustained with volunteers like you who really have a heart and a passion. And I know I'm sure you, we, we get around the table doing arts and crafts, uh, uh, with, with these young adults. And, uh, and I think I, I gain a lot of inspiration about from some of these kids and students too, you know, just watching and their parents. Um, and so, um, you're right. That is, um, that is a great example of, um, of leadership and, and Amy definitely, um, lives that out. So um, thanks for sharing that. Well, uh, thank David. I really appreciate um, your time. I could probably talk to you for another couple hours, um, but uh, uh, since it's I've enjoyed late, it. yeah, it's later in the day, I'm impacting your time with leading your company and not just your meeting <laughs> time, right? But uh, but thanks for being here. I always have time for you, Tim. Very excited about the podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Everybody Leads podcast. We hope you've been inspired by today's stories of leadership. For more information about Baker Donaldson, you can go to bakerdonaldson.com. You can find additional leadership resources at everybodyleads.org. Also, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Remember, leadership knows no boundaries. It's about embracing your potential no matter your situation or your title. Keep leading with purpose and making a positive impact in your world. And join us next time for more empowering insights. Because here, we believe that everybody leads.